It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That created stocks with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a fatigue, listen to yourself, the world, but there's no need to be in your own head. Beat it up and I repeat, got no suits, the ladder, put the platter with the fear, fight down, like fire in the fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom! Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a timely terminus of thought in a terrible world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 650 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a fossil with a fixation, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right. She is the hostess with the most of some kind of wonderful. Oh, yeah. Are you saying Some kind of wonderful. <laughs> well, together we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a ferocious ferret? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but are you ready to pick up the flag and take medical responsibility when the ambulance heads in the other direction? That is not a comforting thing, thought. No, yes, not a good that's thing. right. <laughs> can you save a life if you had to out there? Well, I think you can if you have the knowledge, supplies, and listen to us. What's cooking, Cookie? We learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us. It's easy. Here's the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you how. Feel free to contact us by email at any time to drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can also find us on Facebook at our awesome group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. A Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and our new video cast, which is not so new anymore. I think we've been doing it since January. That's right. And it is found at Around the Cot 
cabin <laughs> around the cabin around the cabin.com wow well that is a lot of stuff but you know what that's not all our website at doomandbloom.net has just about everything you need to succeed even if everything else fails check out our articles in leading magazines like survival quarterly backwoods home prepare survivalist prepper and shooter and survivor's edge as well as in links from over a thousand great preparedness websites mm -hmm. throughout the internet Hey, coming to sunny Florida for vacation this summer. Well, in the news, a rare, potentially deadly bacteria that lives in warm seawater has infected seven people and killed two so far this year in the Sunshine State. People can get infected with this bacterium called Vibrio vulnificus when they eat raw shellfish, and that's according to the Florida Health Department spokeswoman, Mara Berger. She said in a statement that since it's naturally found in warm marine waters, people with open wounds can be exposed to Vibrio vulnificus through direct contact with seawater. Vibrio vulnificus, that's a bacteria. It's related to Vibrio cholera, the causative agent of cholera, sure enough. An infection with Vibrio vulnificus leads to rapidly expanding skin infections, known as cellulitis, and blood infections called septicemia. The bacterium can invade the bloodstream and cause the fever, chills, blistering skin lesions, septic shock, and death that you see in these flesh-eating type diseases. When the bacterium is eaten in contaminated food, the symptoms are more likely to be vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Now, when it enters the body through the open wound, that is really, really bad. That has a mortality rate of about 25% in the percentage of patients that have the infection actually go to the blood and get septicemia, and that occurs usually after ingestion. The mortality rate rises even to 50%. That's pretty terrible. The majority of these patients die within the first 48 hours of infection. That's awfully fast. Wow. The Optimal treatment is not known, but in one study of 93 patients in Taiwan, use of a cephalosporin like Keflex and a tetracycline like doxycycline, respectively, in combination, were associated with at least an improved outcome. While healthy people typically only experience mild symptoms, those that have a weakened immune system, particularly people living with chronic liver disease, are at higher risk for severe complications. Once it invades your bloodstream, it can cause septic shock and death. Cases of Vibrio fulnificus are pretty rare. There are only 32 cases reported in Florida last year, and infections are seasonal. Over 85% occur between May and October, and that's according to the, to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. To avoid infection, experts recommend not entering the water if you have fresh cuts or scrapes. People with a compromised immune system should take extra precautions by wearing proper foot protection to prevent cuts caused by rocks and shells on the beach. Probably not a good idea to enter the water if you have a fresh cut or a scrape. Anyhow, there are sharks down there. Shellfish, including oysters, clams, and mussels, should be cooked thoroughly, eaten promptly after cooking. Raw shellfish should be avoided. Most cases of Vibrio vulnificus are treated with antibiotics, but in the most severe cases, they may have to amputate infected limbs. So this is a serious illness. Keep an eye on it, and we'll report any future cases. Hey, ready to handle medical issues in times of trouble? 
Get a copy of our second edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook and you'll get a head start in the uncertain future. You'll get all sorts of important tips that'll keep your family healthy and it's all in plain English that anyone can understand, who reads English that is. So put that old geezer, Dr. Bones, and the lovely Nurse Amy in your survival library. Head over to Amazon.com or get a personally autographed copy by going to our website at doomandbloom.net. And if you love your Kindle almost as much as your pet iguana scaly, well, you can find our book on Amazon in digital version as well. If you bought the Survival Medicine Handbook 2nd Edition from Amazon in print, in print version, you can get a Kindle copy for only $2.99 through its Matchbook program. Check it out in over 200 five-star reviews at Amazon.com. And if you want to know what to do in an epidemic, check out our book, The Ebola Survival Handbook, also on Amazon. It's about Ebola, but the advice we give in it applies to just about any infectious disease, things like putting together an effective sick room and stuff like that. Now, another infectious disease news, South Korea reported a 10th death from the MERS virus on Thursday. We spoke about that last week, I think, and the week before, probably. Although, in, officials say they believe that the disease has peaked. Now, that compares, however, to the four deaths that we reported on just last week. The victim, uh, the 10th victim, was a 65-year-old man who was treated for lung cancer, was hospitalized in the same facility as an other MERS patient, and they... <laughs> That is seems to be the problem, is if you put these people in the same room, they seem to get it. So it's, I think, highly, highly contagious and certainly airborne. The outbreak of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, has caused panic in South Korea in general. It's infected more than 120 people since the first case. who was a 68-year-old man who had traveled to the Middle East, which is the area of origin for, well, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. This was diagnosed just May 12th. Now, about 3,800 people remain isolated Thursday after possible contact with people that are infected, and more than 2,600 schools and kindergartens across South Korea were closed. Now, this seems a little bit like overkill to me because this, just about everyone who's gotten it has been over 65 or has been uh, a person with significant medical problems. So I don't know whether this is too much of a good thing but i think it's a good thing that they are concerned about it and they are watching it carefully so that will keep you in touch with the latest mers news as time goes on you know we've also talked about vaccines on the show in the past and you know that i'm not afraid to tell you when i think you should get vaccinated and also the limitations of certain vaccines. Now, normally influenza vaccines confer 60 to 70% protection against the current strain and are very reasonable choices to consider, uh, especially when flu season is coming around. This year, however, for unknown reasons, only about 19% protection was given by this year's vaccine. And this goes to show that not all vaccines are created equal. While polio and smallpox vaccines have all but eradicated the virus, the influenza vaccine, while still recommended by the CDC, depends a great deal on how similar the last year's virus from which the vaccine is made is to this year's virus. It's also an issue of how long it lasts. It just lasts a very short time. It doesn't give lifetime protection like some other vaccines or very long-term protection like some other vaccines. Now, I will say that some believe the vaccines are fraught with side effects and could kill you, and I can't say that's impossible, certainly. There are reports to that 
to that effect. But I have to say that the risk is for most of these vaccines is very small. Now, you've got to weigh the risks and benefits of every vaccine and really any course of medical treatment. You should do your own research. Don't be afraid to ask questions of your doctors, for goodness sake, and come to your own conclusions. I think that that is a good course of action. Hey, want to know what the buzz is all about? Well, it's National Pollinator Week. Pollinator Week has now grown to be an international celebration of the valuable ecosystem services provided by bees, birds, butterflies, bats, and beetles. People are beginning to get it. The growing concern for pollinators is a sign of progress. We're finally realizing their importance, but it's vital we continue to maximize our efforts to save our pollinators. Pollinators participate in sexual reproduction of many plants. They ensure cross-pollination. They're essential for some species to reproduce or a major factor in ensuring genetic diversity for others. Since plants are the primary food source of animals, the reduction of one of the primary pollination agents or even disappearance of one is a very, very bad thing. The value of bee pollination in human nutrition and food for wildlife is immense. It's difficult to quantify 60% or maybe 80%, as much as 80% of the world's flowering plant species are animal pollinated. And 35% of crop production, 60% of crop plant species depend on animal pollinators. It's commonly said that about one-third of human nutrition is due to bee pollination. This includes a majority of fruits, many vegetables, or their seed crop, and secondary effects from legumes such as alfalfa, clover, which are fed to livestock. Pollinating animals, including bees, birds, butterflies, bats, beetles, and others, they're vital to our delicate ecosystem. They support terrestrial wildlife, they provide healthy watersheds, and more. Therefore, Pollinator Week is a week to get the importance of pollinators that message out to as many people as possible. Pollinators positively affect all their lives. Let's save them and celebrate them for what they do for us. Hey, it's time to say a great big thank you to all the great networks that carry our show, especially the Prepper Broadcasting Network, the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central Radio, Shake and Wake Radio, and AroundTheCabin.com, which also carries our video cast. Of course, you can listen to our archive audio podcast whenever it's convenient for you just by clicking the podcast button on the pretty blue toolbar at www.doomandbloom.net. Lastly, we want to thank our listeners for their kind words and support for our mission to put a medically prepared person in every family. Thanks for your interest in our books and DVDs and for checking out our entire line of medical kits and supplies at our shop at doomandbloom.net. So, where are we going to be? We have just come (laughs) back from beautiful Oregon, the beautiful state of Oregon. We've had a great time over there seeing waterfalls and Mm -hmm. the beautiful Oregon coast, tidal pools, and gosh, all sorts of stuff. But what are we going to be doing in the future? Well, we get a tiny bit of break, hopefully to get our house put back together (laughs) from our little water flood issue. But our next official show is July 18th and 19th at Hampton, Virginia. That is the prep, excuse me, Emergency Prepper Expo. And that's actually put on by SGK Gun and Knife Show Company. Mm-hmm. So sounds like they know what they're doing. They've been doing that for many years. And we will be teaching a suture class on oh. Sunday the 19th at 10 a.m. And hopefully today I will be putting a link up so anyone 
who is nearby and would like to take our three-hour suture class, I will have that link on our medical classes page. Sounds awesome. And also, where else are we going to be? We're going to officially be at the Self-Reliance Expo on August 21st. That is a one-day event. And again, we'll be doing the suture class, but not until the afternoon, uh, around 4 or 5-ish. I still have to make the link for that. That will be in Denver, Colorado. Oh, yeah. Love Colorado. Although Love. I, they just had uh, tornadoes come through. Yep, I think that's going to be Goodness gracious. hopefully done by August. Uh, well, you know, around Denver, let's see, what have they had? They've had floods. Yep. Now they had tornadoes. Right. I think they had an issue with fires. Yeah. Also, not too long ago, right. a year I remember or two. around Colorado Springs. And so, I think the only thing Denver is uh, snow. Isn't, and, of course, <laughs> snowstorms. I think the only thing Denver's not at risk for is hurricanes. That's right. <laughs> not, no, not many hurricanes. <laughs> Good luck, guys. If you get a hurricane, I apologize profusely. Where are we going to be after that? After that, we'll be at um, a new show by RK uh, Gun Shows, and now going to have an RK Prepper show. That is in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Very close to Atlanta. Very close to Atlanta. I believe it's on the northeast side of Atlanta. And that is August 29th and 30th. And then we'll be at Prepper Camp September 18th, 19th, and 20th in Saluda, North Carolina. That's right. That's going to be a lot of fun. And mm -hmm. we're going to do a suture class there as well. Um, I think. <laughs> yes. We will do it. We, if we're, not, if we're not doing suture classes, we will be doing some educational classes That's so right. promise to be teaching uh, at least one or two possibly three different courses so august 3rd will be in houston houston texas again a one-day event and that is also the self-reliance expo and then a new place for us louisville kentucky that's right october 10th and 11th and that is the nps expo so Exciting places and exciting people to meet. Well, I think that it's going to be a great summer. Uh-huh. And we're heading, even heading into the fall, I think we're going to meet a lot of people. We're going to hopefully give out some good information that they'll... Take home and use. That's no, hopefully right. not use. <laughs> no, take home and hopefully never have Keep to Keep up in the old noggin, but not have to utilize. That's right. Well, anyhow, I think that it's time for a break. After the break, we're going to have an interview with a good friend of ours and a preparedness journalist. Don't see too many of them. Tara Dodrill. Tara, Tara Dodrill. I want to just get that pronunciation right. Okay, the two of us. <laughs> well, I had a best friend when I was young, and it was pronounced Tara, but... Her pronunciation is Tara. So That's I want to make right. sure we get that right. It's like going to Oregon. We <laughs> said it wrong. <laughs> You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We will be right back.
And we're back. You're listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton, also known as Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Hey, we're thrilled to welcome a good friend to our show for the first time. Her name is Tara Dodrill. Tara Dodrill is a preparedness journalist who writes for Off the Grid News, Survival Life, The Inquisitor, Survival Based, eFoods Direct, The Prepared Family website creator, and a writer at Prepper and Shooter magazine. Her first book, Power Grid Down, Prepare, Survive, and Thrive After the Lights Go Out, will soon be followed by a book designed to aid the off-grid and prepper families called How to Raise a Self-Reliant Child. Tara lives in rural southern Ohio with her family and a host of critters. She has a background in both education and journalism, became fully focused on preparedness after living through a week-long power outage in 103-degree heat. Wow, I know what's know what you're talking about, girl. Much like the sassy Southern Belle in one of her favorite movies, Gone with the Wind, Tara vowed to never go hungry, well, thirsty, again. A week without cold water to quench thirst because of both the high temperatures and a complete lack of ice was enough to prompt her to embark on a far more self-reliant lifestyle. After the long summer heat spent without power, Tara began researching the power grid to learn all there is to know about the threats facing our most vulnerable and vital piece of infrastructure. And now, our interview with Tara Dodro. Hi, Tara. Are you there? Hi, Amy. Yes, I sure am. Hi, Joe. Hi, Tara. So nice to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I love your book. I love listening to your shows. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. And actually, our topic for the day is going to be your books. So, um, well, your current book and a future book. But first, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the road you've traveled and what led you to become a journalist? Well, since I was wee little, everybody always says, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I knew from as soon as I could start spelling letters that I wanted to be um, a writer. So that was my goal in life from way early on, and I worked really hard to get in the Columbia Journalism School. Not sure why, you know, how you pick a favorite ball team or something. That's where I wanted to go and, and debatably, you know, the best school. But when I was getting ready to graduate high school, um, my dad had a heart condition, and he was put on the heart transplant list. So okay. I decided I didn't want to leave for school. I didn't want to miss any minute of the time that I got. And um, I went to Huntington University, also has a good journalism school, but I switched to uh, education, kind of the family business. That way I could have a career where I got to uh, get close to home instead of traveling the world as I intended. And uh, looking back now, very glad I, I didn't do that. And um, so I worked in the education field for about 10 years. Still did some fun writing on the side for the local paper. And one day I just, you kind of have that realization, I guess, and I felt like a factory worker instead of an educator. The uh, joy of learning was being sucked out with government regulations and testing and, and fears of scores. So I was in a meeting, and I wrote my resignation on a uh, donut napkin, and I decided to walk out and start something new. So um, wow. there was a job, yeah, there was a, a job for a local editor in a county, the next county over, and I took that, and then... I took another job as a bureau chief at another paper, and newspapers are hit hard anymore. There's not many local papers left, and so went from full-time to part-time, and I started doing some writing on the Internet, 
and uh, took a while to get really good internet service out in this beautiful crime-free rural area where I live. So I started doing that full-time. I found out I could work from home and make twice as much and uh, in half the amount of time, which was wonderful. I was coaching and involved in a lot of community groups and still do some things for local paper. They're great guys. So I just uh, kind of parlayed from one thing to the next and eventually got back to what I wanted to do since I was a little girl. Well, well, I think what you uh, your history of education and work probably contributed a lot to the amazing book that you wrote and, again, your future book. But let's talk a little bit about what your worldview is today. Uh, do you think everything's peachy keen or are we really going to hell in a handbasket? Oh, we're, we're just Heck on a slippery slope into hell in a handbasket if we aren't there now. I, it's, I, I listen to the news. I have the news on all day long, you know, as I write, and I end up shaking my head and understanding why some – old-fashioned novelists end up turning to drink halfway through their day. I just get so frustrated. I want to pound my head on the table. Um, I guess you could call me a constitutional libertarian. So the federal government overreach tends to always get my my blood boiling and um, a lack of um, personal responsibility also does as well. So I, I just think there are so many things you could probably pick five topics that are, you know, extremely important and um, threatening our country and our, our way of life, both from within and, and without, that the pendulum tends to swing so far in one direction as, of course, our country's history, then it kind of swings back another. I don't see us swinging back, unfortunately. We, we're, the federal government has just so much, so much overreach. I don't even know that they even teach states' rights that our country is founded upon in schools anymore. So that's, that's a real concern for me, infringement upon the, the Constitution and the lack of worth ethic. ethic. Oh, let's see if I don't struggle my words anymore today. I apologize. But um, and it, the issues that, you know, make it definitely not PC King, you know, you worry about the different things with the government, but then we also have concerns with, um, you know, how our food is being grown, with all the genetic modified ingredients, and we have a lot of social and, and cultural issues and um, kind of go the Charles Murray school spot on there, one of my favorite libertarian writers. A lot of it stems back you know, to break down the family unit, whatever your family unit might be, the, the lack of supervision and hands-on upbringing by parents. There are just so many different issues on that level from within that is, that's a problem. And then we have concerns about the power grid and cyber attack threats and uh, you know, threats from North Korea and threats from ISIS. It seems like we're we're sitting here, and there are just prongs pointed at us, both from you know in our own country with issues we're dealing with, and from the outside world. And we don't seem to really be accomplishing a task and getting it off the table to improve anything. There are a lot of different reasons that people prep. Um, I don't know that it's. The most important thing about, you know, saying why you prep, I know in doomsday preppers they start out and you explain why you prep. The basics are, you know, really all the same with the food, water, shelter, you know, self-defense and medical preps. You're going to have to meet all of those needs. Um, getting bogged down in exact reason I don't think is really necessary, but I'm just growing more and more concerned every day with listening to the news, um, the things that are going on, and then, What's equally troubling is how few people are paying attention. Our rights are infringed upon little by little, and there's outrage from a certain segment, of course, but 
it doesn't make as much headlines as what Kim Kardashian is doing this week or what Justin Bieber is doing. I think our focus and our priorities have really eroded, and that's, that's not a good thing for keeping our country strong and, and protecting ourselves, our families, and our neighborhoods. Well, you're certainly right about that. I think that everything that you just said is true. It's exactly what's happening in the United States today. We have uh, a, a lack of family, uh, not values, but cohesiveness. Uh, I think that it's very clear that uh, there are a lot of kids that are being raised by one parent uh, these days, and that doesn't mean that they can't be, they can't turn out just fine, but it, it certainly is not what the uh, the tradition has been, and it certainly has, has sort of turned out to, I think, uh, really erode a lot of the moral compass that we have uh, come to expect uh, from from Americans uh, entitlements. Uh, once you give them, you can't take them away, and we're seeing that with uh, things like Obamacare and uh, food stamps and things like that. And there's certainly people that are in need, but we find ourselves in situations that uh, we can't go back, and uh, and so this I think is is becoming a cascade of of bad events and and bad policies that are really affecting uh, the future of our country. But let's, let's talk a little bit about your upcoming book, Power Grid Down, Prepare, Survive, and Thrive After the Lights Go Out. Tell us an overview of what the book's about and uh, why the information it is important. Well, I, actually, I released this one under our, our mutual friend, Rick uh, Austin's Persistence. He wanted this done and finished before Prepper Camp last year. So I'm getting ready to re-release it. There were a few things I decided to tweak, and I wanted to add a bit more detail as more threats to the power grid emerge. So I'm getting ready to re-release it. Hopefully by the end of this week, I'm going to have my final edit finished and be able to to do that. Um, let's see. My daughter's getting ready to turn 20. So on her 16th birthday four years ago, we had a massive power outage in southern Ohio, and it affected, I'm believing, about four or five states. It was the middle of summer, 4th of July weekend, and the power went out. It was 103 degrees in the shade, and that is not by any means an exaggeration. It was just boiling. And we were without power in our area for a week. Some it took a lot longer. And my husband had always been into preparedness. I used to kind of laugh at him for his doomsday stuff shows and these different things. Um, being a country girl, you know, and outdoorsy, there were a lot of things that, you know, I always agreed on and, and uh, we had in common about a lot of our thinking, though I didn't necessarily think of them as preparedness. It was just kind of an old-fashioned, earth-friendly, you know, way of life. Well, that week without power, he got me completely, fully on board. I remember saying I felt like Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, the scene where she says she'll never grow hungry again. We had plenty of food here, but we were thirsty. I mean, the water coming out of the tap was more than lukewarm. Um, there were concerns about running out of water, and um, they, we had a free day supply of water in our town without electricity in the pump when the generators um, would have run out of gas. And they cautioned everybody not to use too much water and conserve because it was getting low. Well, then people panicked, and they filled their bathtubs up. They filled up everything they could get a, their hands on. And we're a rural community with a lot of farming and a lot of livestock and um, you know, it had been hot for a while, so the ponds and the creeks were low. So water and the livestock was also a concern. As soon as, um, 
Joe, did I lose you? No, we're still here. Okay, I'm sorry. I heard a very weird noise, but I thought that maybe I might have lost my connection. Uh, so, <laughs> no problem. So there were a lot, of, a lot of water concerns more than food concerns. And um, if right. you wanted to get water or ice, you had to drive somewhere that possibly had that, which meant 45 minutes to an hour. Wow. And because there was no electricity, then the gas stations were open. Um, the local grocery store used a generator and then flashlight and let people come in to get food. They sold all the perishables to the Amish, but everything else you could go in and get. And um, something you probably don't get in a, in a big city is if you didn't have cash, and most people don't carry that much cash anymore, they wrote your name down on what you took so you could come back and pay later. They made sure nobody went hungry. But you were definitely thirsty. There were concerns about the sick, the young, the elderly with all the heat. And if you drove to try to get water or ice, you could get gas. But there was a limit of $15 worth of gas. No containers, just your one vehicle. Well, most of us around here drive SUVs or pickup trucks. So the $15 in gas, because at the time gas was almost $4 a gallon, it got you to where you were going and back. So there was no filling your generators up. And you would spend in what I would liken to a 1930s bread line to wait for water or ice. And you might stand in line for two hours, and you would hear a groan rise up from the front of the line and know that it was all gone. Um, FEMA did show up about three days in, and they didn't bring enough to serve not even a third of the county, and they didn't have anybody to unload. My husband was in village government and a firefighter and all those guys and ladies I went up and chipped in to help unload because they had to move along. Well, when it's 103 degrees outside in the shade and, they're, and they are unloading onto pallets, blocks of water and ice, we didn't have ice very long. Um, mm-hmm. The water, you know, got extremely warm. So relying on FEMA to help is not a good idea, though I'm sure most of your listeners already knew that. So after a week spent like that, um, he got me on board with preparedness, and I <laughs> grew an extreme interest in the power grid and thinking about this was just a week, and this was just a region. What would happen if the power grid went down in the whole country, in the whole state? Um, so I started doing a lot of research to see how vulnerable it was, and I was surprised um, not only how vulnerable it is, there is no one entity either – Public, private, or, or quasi-public um, uh, <clears throat> that controls the power grid. There are authorities over specific sections, but the safety guidelines and the standards are, are not governed by one entity. So there are so many things that are voluntary, and so many things are disputed between the different entities that control all the segments of the power grid that need to work. It's kind of like herding cats to get improvements done as far as expanding it, any security steps that need taken with it. Our power, the consumption of electricity in this country has grown 50-fold since 1980, but the power grid has not been enlarged. We don't make the transmitters that we need to fix it when something goes down. Those are shipped primarily from Germany. So if it were to go down, you'd think there's a big government warehouse with other backup transmitters and spare parts, but... There, there really isn't. I'm sure there are some spare parts, but a bunch of generators sitting in a warehouse to repair part of the state, that unfortunately doesn't exist. The one good thing with the transmitters that we do have that they are unfortunately going to change if they go to a smart grid is they are very old-fashioned. A lot of them are three, four decades old. So they are more hardened against an EMP attack 
um, than some of the newer versions. But the newer versions won't be. We don't have extras laying around, so I'm, I, I don't know how much changing anything with the transmitters is really going to do anything to, um, to protect our power grid. Um, and that's just kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. That's just a seasonal weather issue. You know, there's an EMP attack or a solar flare, which most of the experts say we're long overdue for a massive solar flare. The last known recorded solar flare of any extreme significance was in 1859, the Carrington event. And the most advanced form of technology at the time was a telegraph. So there's really, they can do tests and they can estimate what would happen if that were to occur today, and, and you know, none of it's good. Um, then you have cyber attacks, which occur daily, according to the Pentagon, on small degrees onto, um, different, onto the power grid from, they think, Chinese hackers, and then it's hackers from North Korea or people who just have to do that kind of thing or some combination of, of the three, but there are attempts made every single day to hack into the power grid. So the threats to the power grid are enormous, but um, the SHIELD Act to help protect it or bolster it has been installed in Congress for almost five years. The EMP Commission was disbanded under the Obama administration, so there's, there's really no activity on it. There's been activity on climate change and Obamacare, which is personally costing us a small fortune, and uh, the DREAM Act for illegal immigrants, but the power grid which could cause 80 million deaths, according to FEMA's estimate, there's been no activity on beyond, well beyond the Obama administration. Before that, there was talk, there were some tiny improvements to security as far as physically men or women uh, patrolling different substations. But other than that, there's really been no work to the power grid um, for 30 years. I'll Nothing tell you that. to improve it. It certainly seems like it's going to be our Achilles heel. And uh, you mentioned cyber attacks. And, and there was even an incident in Arizona, I think you mentioned in the book, uh, that, that was interesting. It was actually perhaps more than, than just a hacking attempt. It was a, a bombing attempt, I think you, you wrote about. Yeah, it was. It was in 2013. And it didn't make the news for months. And the man's name is escaping me now. And it's one of those things that will jump in my head three hours from now, I'm not thinking about it. Um, but he, if he had not released information, nothing classified, but essentially become a whistleblower to, I believe it was Fox News, it wouldn't have made the news three or four months later. It was an attempt to, there's a set with substation in Arizona that was a hub for three states and major metropolitan areas. And there was a, essentially a terrorism attack there to try, if the, if the men or women who were doing it would have understood more about how diesel fuel works as far as uh, higher ignition points and gasoline, they would have been able to have, have blown it up and been far more successful. They, the, the bomb devices they made were accurate, I guess. They were, they were functional, and they placed them beneath some fuel tanks, but their calculations were off, thankfully, because they did not understand the difference between gasoline and diesel as far as it's just what it takes to ignite it. That's far deeper into my scientific knowledge than I could even explain. I did use the quotes and things in the book to make sure it was clear. Um, Woolery, James Woolery was the man's name. And after that, there was another attempt in Tennessee at a substation, and there was 
a third one. They were all within about six months of each other. And the third one was not an attack, attempt to do anything to destroy anything at the power grip substations. It was just um, an individual that was dressed up as a nun that got in a rowboat that used a water entry point to gain access to a restricted area just to make a point of how lax security was. Wow. And, yeah, and so those all got very little media attention, and there have been no changes as far as I know, and I try to follow it closely to anything as far as security. There was a gate, like a tall um, chain link fence that you might have around your yard to keep your dogs in, but on a much taller scale like you might see at a warehouse. That was all that kept the uh, substations divided from anywhere else. It wasn't electrified. There weren't security cameras. There's been talk and debate of what they might do to improve it and how much it would cost, but as many things, there's outrage, and then it goes to Congress, there's discussion, and then just kind of languishes after that. So even That's after true. those three attempts, nothing has really changed. You're, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. It's amazing how we'll be shocked by it and we'll, we'll uh, make all sorts of noise about the importance of of taking action, but then it goes right into committee and you never hear about it again. And, and it's, it's not just this year, it's, you know, it's all of them, and you're exactly right. I would think that more people would pay attention to this because it could cause so many deaths. And it's a lack of awareness um, and from the general populace, but then I would think that the members of Congress, and there are some, there's an actual bipartisan support for the S.H.I.E.L.D. Act and other improvements to the power grid. And you know, that's extremely rare, but still right. nothing has, has been accomplished. Um, people say, go and without power for a little bit. You know, I have a generator. Well, so did we, but there was no way to get power. Ours actually was powered for the whole week, but only because my husband was a firefighter, and he was allowed to use the county pump that was also starting to, it, it, it didn't have a, an unending supply of fuel, but he was allowed to use it so he could keep the emergency radios charge for the fire, the police, the sheriff, and the EMS. He was rotating radios in and out. So we were the one of the few people that had a functional generator. And after that, he bought a larger generator that worked on different types of fuel, so we would never be in that situation again. So a week without power prompted me to become a prepper, and it also let him know how unprepared that we were in certain areas and what we needed to work on. So spending a week and three days or a week faced with you know, any type of a small disaster, you know, natural disaster like that is a good way to evaluate um, exactly, you know, where your weak points are in your preparedness plan. Tara, tell me a little bit about uh, natural disasters. Are you concerned at all about any of them, and uh, and what are they? Well, you know, I, I'm not a, a huge climate change believer. I, I, I scoff at some of it. Do I think there are things we do to the environment that are harmful and we can improve? Most definitely. I recycle. I don't like GMOs or chemicals, so I'm not um, n- not unconcerned, you know, about some of those issues. And in a panic point that all the glaciers are going to melt, no. But, you know, there we I don't know if we're more aware of some of the natural disasters now. I will hear people be terrified. We've had more tornadoes and uh, volcanic eruptions and tsunamis and flooding and drought. I don't know that we're having more. I think in our 24-hour news cycle and the obsession some people have with Facebook, they are, you know, hearing more about them. Um, and, yes, you know, natural disasters are always a concern, and you should be prepared for them. And depending on where you live, you may face, you know, one type of an issue, you know, more than another. But um, 
I, I guess, you know, like I mentioned a little bit in the intro, the basics of preparedness are the same no matter what kind of disaster that you're concerned with. You know, you need food, water, and shelter. You need, you know, weaponry of some type to defend yourself with and medical prep, which are the most difficult part of preparedness, um, the skill to know what to do and the supplies that you need. So regardless of what your concern might be about a specific natural disaster or man-made disaster, you're going to need to make sure you have those items and have the skills to use them and practice them. You know, it's like riding a bicycle. If you don't get on a bike for a very long time since childhood or hop on a horse, you're going to be a little bit rusty. So instead of focusing so much on which type of disaster, um, although, like I said, there's flooding here, and we're, we're a little bit more prepped for flooding because we live in an area where there is flooding, but so you need to, to think about what could be a concern in your area, but looking at the essentials of survival and practicing and honing your skills to make sure that you are prepared, I think is, is more important. And I don't look at it as a person who's panicked. I'm, I'm a mom, and I think moms are typically natural preppers. I look at it as a form of insurance, like your house insurance or your car insurance or the good health insurance we used to have before Obamacare. When you have those things, you feel more secure and safe and you can go on about your daily life. Well, you certainly have a wealth of information, and you impart that in Power Grid Down, Prepare, Survive, and Thrive After Lights Go Out. We're running out of time for part one of this interview, so I want you to tell people how we can find out more about your book and uh, how can we get a copy hot off the press. Wonderful. Well, as I said, I'm going to do the re-release. I added on to it. I hope we done this weekend. It is for sale on Amazon in paperback form and in Kindle. Uh, soon it will be in an e-book. And as soon as I have this one added on to and completely perfect, I am going to try to finish working on how to raise a self-reliant child. I'm hoping to have that out before Prepper Camp, which is September 20, 18th to the 20th this fall. So I'm hoping to have that book released also on Amazon. And you can find out more about the book. I do have some excerpts of the book, including the portion about the uh, terrorism attack on the substation in Arizona. On my blog, it's just simply thepreparedfamily.org. You can find me on Twitter and Google Plus and Facebook. I'll just by type in my name, Tara Dodrell. And um, you can come out and see me and everybody else who's very excited about preparedness at Prepper Camp this fall down in Saluda, North Carolina. Thank you guys for having me. I will see you in Saluda in a couple months. Sounds awesome. Good. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, they say that all work and no play makes Jack a dull dog. Anyway, that's what they said in Stephen King's movie, The Shining. So Amy and I have gotten together with Charlie and Courtney Hogwood of P-R-E-P, Prep, and the Survival Group Handbook. And we've put together a little new satire show that can be simply described as slightly unhinged hosts, spotty production quality, irreverent topics, raucous laughter, tongues firmly in cheek, Here's a segment from our pilot episode. Warning, if you don't have a sense of humor, this show is definitely not for you. Welcome back to Barely Prepared, the show that asks the question, why do fools fall in love? <laughs> That's good. That is a good question. That was good. But my question is, who says romance is dead? A Washington teen straps fake explosives to his body in a ploy to ask a date to prom and winds up suspended from school. The Columbia newspaper in Vancouver reports the five-day suspension will prevent Ibrahim Ahmad from attending La Center High's 
dance on Saturday. Superintendent Mark Mansell says Ahmad's actions were inexcusable and that he deserved punishment for disrupting the learning environment. The 18-year-old senior says he was just trying to go all out with his proposal. At lunchtime, he stood on the cafeteria stage with paper tube props made up to look like explosives and said he was the bomb and invited his date to prom. Now, Courtney, is this a dynamite idea or is it a dud? You know, the, there's a very important piece missing from this story. Did the date say yes or no? I, yeah, that's I my mean, question. I that, just want to know, did was this successful? Because on the one hand, it's very creative I will, and very time-consuming. So I want to know if she appreciated that, or he, if, if one of his dates, apparently, appreciated the effort he put into this. Well, since he can't go to prom, I think that they will have to, <laughs> they'll have to just get a burger <laughs> at McDonald's just before she goes to prom. She I might guess. be looking for another date right now, is what you're saying. That's right. Amy, do you think the school's action was unreasonable since the prom's theme was landmine Lollapalooza? Well, I, I'm kind of going back to the whole theme thing, and I'm thinking that might not have been a great idea in today's world with a whole bunch of bombs and terrorists and insanity going on. So they should have probably steered away from that whole landmine Lollapalooza. <laughs> Charlie, I would want to know, did you get bombed at prom? Well, let's just say I didn't need to, but my lovely date had little <laughs> choice in the <laughs> But yes, I mean, I'll, look, how could anybody turn down? Oh, oh with a guy like White so, tux. White tux. Yeah. Stop we'll that right there. So did you I know what? get bombed? It's, no, you know what? I'm... It's true. Every girl crazy about a sharp dress man. That's right. That's right. Did you have a hat on? I yes. A matching top What year was this? That, wait, well, that wasn't as old as, well, it is. No, what year was that? I want to know what year that was. That was 1983 right 83? there. 83? I was at prom wow. in 83. We See? could have been dates. Wait, were you drunk that night? Because... <laughs> I did. Have. I did wear a pink dress, yes. which would have matched this. You looked familiar. Yeah, I still have my palm. Uh, there were no offspring dress. that came I, out of this I, imaginary I union. Reimburse me for those drinks. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And, and I didn't appreciate you picking me up on your bicycle. <laughs> I thought it would show the effort I was putting in. Yeah, well, you know, my dress got caught in the wheel. You know, it was a whole mess. Anyway. Well, I have to weigh in on this. I think that <laughs> this young man's suspension is an insult to Islamic terrorists everywhere. I think that this is boo! white privilege and Washington State privilege <laughs> and absolutely unreasonable. I mean... How are the people in ISIS and Al-Qaeda, how are they going to be able to recruit people if we're suspending kids just for putting explosives around their body? And and we for a good cause, too. To yeah, for a good cause. I think, I think, you know, he had the, the right intention, uh, maybe wrong platform. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. I, I, again, we need to steer away from the whole bomb <laughs> terrorist thing. Just go way over here, guys. <laughs> Coming up. Just get her a card like everybody else. I know. Yeah. Right. I'd like <laughs> to say. Go. Coming up. Yes. Go ahead. A visit to Dr. Bones Lab. Barely Prepared is sponsored by Parrots. Parrots, those lovable squawk boxes that never fail to bring a smile to your face or tears to your eyes when they bite you. 
Get one for your home and prepare to hear it imitate your ex-girlfriend for the next 60 years. Available on Amazon.com or in the Amazon jungle. Well, that's one of the segments from our new show, Barely Prepared. I hope that you liked it. Not everybody gets it, but I hope that you liked it. And if you do, check it out on YouTube under the words Barely Prepared. Thank you. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.